The Lord has established a way. He's made a way back to Himself. And man, He's paid for that privilege for us in holy blood. So always keep that vision of a loving God in your heart and mind. Don't ever let anybody steal that from you because He really is on your side. Now, He might hate our sin because He's holy, but He distinguishes. He hates the sin, but He loves the sinner. And that includes all of us. This is not an exclusive club. He waits for us. He waits for us to just look at our bankrupt lives and respond to that love. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to another episode of Songs from a 1980s Roller Rink Dumpster, the podcast where we try to highlight music and artists from the said decade that we feel didn't get a fair shake or has been forgotten too soon. On this particular episode, we're going to concentrate on the 80s career of singer-songwriter Randy Stonehill. And to help us do that, current radio promoter and former radio DJ Chris Hauser is back by the woodpile to share his personal experiences of aiding Mr. Stonehill get his songs on the airwaves during that time period. And in amongst Mr. Hauser's memories is his role in the infamous Play It Stupider sessions, immortalized by a controversial and contested essay by legendary producer and musician Mark Hurd. So what are your first memories of hearing Randy Stonehill? It was probably 1978 or 79 when I was in college in Syracuse. And I think someone introduced me to his main first record that Larry Norman uh, produced called uh, Welcome to Paradise. But we disobeyed him in the and I was just completely taken in, completely taken in by Larry Norman in another land, and then Randy Stonehill, Welcome to Paradise, maybe a Chuck Gerard record, maybe a love song record, probably Res Band Awaiting Your Reply that came out in 78. I, I fell into a group of, of Christians who were big time into CCM, uh, and I was at OCC in Syracuse, a community college in Syracuse, and uh, and so found Randy that way, and immediately was just so taken with his sense of humor and his playing and his singing, and uh, it resonated so much with me as a as a young Christian. What are some of the uh, maybe his highlights from the seventies? You mentioned off the recording yeah. that on his first record. He had a song called Norman's Kitchen. Right. The first line in Norman's Kitchen is, uh, I got stoned in Norman's Kitchen. Uh, we were talking about the facts of life. Well, I can't see that I am free. And I'm who I want to be. Mercy me. Mercy me. Mercy me. There's a new book on Larry Norman's life, which is really interesting, and, and Stonehill's story is so weaved into all of that. That was off a record, his indie record, from the early 70s, probably, that Pat Boone bankrolled, called Born Twice. It's a, it's a hard record to find. It's very, very rare. 
Um, I'm proud to own a copy of it. A bunch of us in um, probably 79 drove from Syracuse to Roberts Wesleyan College in Rochester, outside of Rochester, to see Randy Stonehill play. It was just him and a guitar. He had long hair still, uh, little granny glasses, and it was probably three or four carloads of like 20 people all going to see this show from Syracuse, from our youth group. And gosh, I got to meet him afterwards. And it, it was just so, I was completely enthralled by the guy and his personality. It's just so big, so funny and so nutty. Hi there, this is Robert Bob here at the Ramadian Lounge. And listen, Pussycats, I want you to drink up and stick around because I'm going to be playing all those AM fave raves for you. And I know you like the disco down tunes here. Oh, yeah. Hey, come on. Bang, bang. <laughs> I got a line on you. <laughs> you party animals. Hey, a little later on, why don't you try that salad bar? It's simply exquisite. Okay. I got 25 big, beautiful shows for you, don't you know? I'm going to be here from 4 o'clock this afternoon <laughs> until I'm a much older individual. <laughs> no. Well, eventually you went to work for Murr, which yeah. Randy had been at for a while. Yeah, yeah. Randy started putting out records in uh, 1981 on Murr Records. That was uh, Between the Glory and the Flame. Oh, and then he came to Syracuse in 81 with Daniel Amos. And I did see him afterwards uh, met his wife. They had just had a baby. His big hit was Turning 30. And I have friends who care about me. They're the best I've ever had. And they always stood behind me. Whenever times got bad. And I love to play Around that time period, I met him that night as well. I took my girlfriend, who later became my wife, to that. Between the Glory and the Flame in 81, and then Equator in 82, that had Shefty Doe. My mama used to sing this song. Shefty Doe, keep out the devil. Oh, papa used to sing it too. Shefty Doe, keep the devil in the night. Jesus and so all of these songs uh, celebrate this heartbeat, which is just this great Rickenbacker 60s kind of sounding, I don't know, birds kind of sound. And so I was so excited about being able to work with Randy Stonehill when I moved there in 87. And so we started having meetings in early 88, probably. And one of these records, again, before you got to work with them, was produced by Dave Perkins. Yeah, called The Wild Frontier. And I knew he was one of the dying breed. He was one of the chosen few. Bound for the other side. And it was just a Huge. I mean, one of the songs is called Here Come the Big Guitars. And so it's like just so much heaviness. And I, I think the label chat was struggling a bit with it for AC Radio. They sent a song called Hope of Glory. They sent a song called Words on the Wind. Words on the wind, swing away to a new horizon. 
Is that his leg on the cover? Uh, yeah. Is that somebody else's leg? No, it's his leg. Well, if I ever meet him, I'm going to ask him to, can he still do that? <laughs> it, we, is, we've, man, uh, it is up there. We've got it right here, but I mean, they just turned the record up loud and uh, did a photo shoot with him holding his Fender Telecaster. Uh -huh. So, yeah, my, I, uh, my, my prostate hurts just looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Yeah, when you went to work for Murray, you finally got to work on one. Yeah, of his and Dave and Dave Perkins actually produced uh, the first record that I worked called "Can't Buy a Miracle," and that had Phil Keggy and uh, Russ Taft sing background vocals on some of the songs, and uh, that had a song called "Coming Back Soon." Back Soon is a story then that Randy would eventually tell on this promo tour I'll get into shortly, but his daughter Heather, young, probably three years old, before, like Randy was getting ready to go from LA to Nashville and be gone a month. They were going to work on this record for a month um, with Dave Perkins, and the story he would tell every night was that... Uh, his daughter came to him as he was getting ready to leave, gave him her blanket, and said, please, please don't forget me. And Randy would cry every time he would tell that story. Man, that makes me want to cry. <laughs> I know, it's powerful. Yeah. It really is powerful. I've seen Randy in so many different settings try to get through that story, and it just it just broke his heart. And it's, But again, it was like, this is how I'm going to... Make a living, right. and I gotta got, gotta get this work done. Yeah, that's a lot of the musicians I've had on these programs. That does come up a lot. It's hard on a family, regardless if it's secular or Christian. Yeah, just being away, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so any particular memories about that first record that you helped? Yeah, with? yeah. I uh, we had like a top three or maybe even number two song with coming back soon. Uh, the marketing guy in our office. He was always looking for some new kind of tchotchke type stuff to send out and things that we could use to, to market records. His name is Jack Clark. He found some design and we called them miracle shirts. And they were blank shirts, but when you got out in the sun, an image would show up on the shirt. And so we we put Can't Buy a Miracle, Randy Stonehill. And I'm, I'm sure I've got a couple of the shirts up in a big bin up in my closet that I've held on to, but you expose it to the sunlight and then an image appears and it's the cover of the of the record. And it goes away when you uh -huh. know, and well, it goes away. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Heard, never heard of such a thing. I know, I know. <laughs> and I like I haven't seen it mass marketed since, but in nineteen eighty nine or 88, we had it all over. It probably causes cancer. <laughs> you might want to get yourself checked. <laughs> that was memorable. I just loved getting a hit for him. I, I really, really loved working hard for Randy Stonehill. For someone that I just had adored for a solid 10 years, uh, whose music just meant so much to me, and who I know, know all of his records and all of his songs during the 80s, to be able to uh, work closely with him. He's kind of a soft-spoken guy, would you uh, say? I, I don't know that I would put it that way. Okay, well, how would you, how would you describe I mean, his personality? I mean, he's fairly, um, 
he's fairly even keeled, but when you put him up in front of an audience, it's like he becomes somewhat possessed. Okay. I mean, he's so nutty, and uh, and just he he'll speak in other tones of voice and almost other languages, and uh, I mean, somewhat a, somewhat of a Jim Gaffigan kind of uh-huh. thing where he <laughs> kind of has an alter ego and. Uh, and it's it's all crazy. He'll cross his eyes. Randy and Phil Keggy would uh, tour together, and uh, the first time they ever did this to me was at Atlanta Fest, 1989, with the Compassion All Star Band. So Joe English, uh, Rick Kua, Keggy, Stonehill, uh, maybe Phil Madeira on keyboards, but just this huge All Star Band and. They would tour and do promo stuff for Compassion International. Stonehill comes up to me and crosses his eyes and takes on this like Vegas talent scout kind of thing. He said, Chris, you are huge. You're huge, I'm telling you. The vastness of your splendor is only eclipsed by the rotundity of your charisma. You are huge. And uh, he and Keggy would go back and forth with this kind of stuff. And the, the two of them together are very combustible. Just such amazing memories for uh-huh. me of so much of laughter, and I love those guys. The next record that they worked on, then they they moved to Mark Hurd as a producer. This, in some ways, might be my favorite Randy Stonehill record in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, Welcome to Paradise will never be eclipsed, and it's made best of lists through history, through CCM history. But his record called Return to Paradise um, is just, it's... Randy Stonehill and Mark Hurd doing such amazing work together. And songs are sad. There's a song called Starlings, which kicks off the record. A single that we took to radio didn't do very well called I Don't Ever Want to Live Without You. And there's no such thing as too old to cry. I don't ever want to live without you. I don't ever want to lose your touch. I don't ever want to live without you. I could never stand to lose that much. Uh, he did a, a Mark Hurd song called Strong Hand of Love. Oh, yeah. People know that song. That, that's Randy singing that version of that song. We can laugh. Even the funny songs, like there are very few funny songs on this record where every one of those records through the 80s had nutty, crazy songs. But this one, the weirdest title was Christmas at Denny's, but it's still a sad song. And the waitress on graveyard and the surly night manager, they're wishing that all of us losers would leave. I mean, it's such a sweet contemplative record. But man, it, I just couldn't get very far with it at AC Radio. If you don't mind talking about that a little bit as a radio promoter, yeah, obviously you've developed friendships with these folks. How do they break it to you lightly? Like <laughs> that the, 
you know, obviously it's your job to get something to play, but even something that you really believe in, you know, they can't play it or it's not fitting for what they're right. doing. Right. How do they convey that to you in, ah. in a nice Christian way? <laughs> uh, your song sucks. Uh, really? Uh, oh, so sure. They're, so they're blunt. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's plenty of bluntness, especially the longer I've been in relationship with people. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to appreciate that, I guess. Oh, but, totally. But it still hurts. Oh, no, 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 totally. And there are people who will say, in the beginning, hey, I'm not going to play your record. I'm not going to play this song. And six months later, they're playing the song. Mm-hmm. And if they have, especially like a, a memory issue, they'll be like, oh man, I knew that was a hit. Oh, you know, yeah. that, we'll, I'll deal with that every once in a while. Right. Somebody will be like, no, that song is horrible. Mm-hmm. That song's a hit. I love it. And so in fighting through that kind of stuff, it's none of these songs are ever so important for me to lose a relationship over and so i have to i I take no all day long Mm -hmm. as a radio promoter and my therapist is well paid um (laughs) i have loads of rejection and have had for 30 years now being in radio promotion but by and large radio people sometimes they'll have to remind me this is not personal i just don't feel it do you remember what was the reasoning from the the radio guys why they wouldn't want to play this record. Well, on the, um, why they wouldn't want to play some of these songs. It could be that there was a season of more pop, like there was more pop music that was starting to infiltrate in, and so, you know, tender singer-songwriter, acoustic songs might not work as well. The other problem that I can have sometimes with a, with a big song, when a song hits like Coming Back Soon from Can't Buy a Miracle, the next couple of songs will get compared to it. Mm. What radio people it's a weird little psychology thing where radio people say like well it's no coming back soon uh-huh. and so that I have a lifetime of that <laughs> of like working huge hit records right and then and then people comparing every single after that for a couple of years yeah, to what's, that what's the phrase you're competing with your former success or, or something <laughs> like that. I can't yes. remember that former success ends up being your enemy because yeah. everyone's holding you to that particular so I've I've got a big smash right now with uh, Reckless Love by a guy named Corey Asbury, but I know for the next year, whatever song I we bring to radio next, they'll be they'll be like, well, it's it's no Reckless Love, and my joke is, well, you're right, it's got a different title, <laughs> and it's got different lyrics, and even a different melody, and if all you want to do is play Reckless Love. All day long, I suppose you could do that. Now, can you really say that? Yes. Okay. Yes, because uh, again, we have we have a funny relationship. Uh-huh. I mean, these are 115 people that I have to have basically about 100 different personalities to uh, to deal with. Well, thanks for letting me chase that squirrel. Okay, <laughs> You're but back to Randy. <laughs> You're welcome. So that was a that was a tough thing, and, and I assume you have to tell. Do you talk to him personally when you're doing this stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, say, hey, or man, management? I mean, yeah. I mean, Randy and I become friends enough by that point where we would have some dealings here and there. But obviously, I guess you'd be disappointed. But I mean, is it is this kind of devastating news, or is it just well, we'll try better next time? Or uh, that's a very interesting question because we played all that out over the course of the next year which got us to to the next record what i do want to tell you about really quickly though a funny story from 89 is that he was working on that record on the uh, return to paradise record and in may of 89 our son christopher turned a year old 
Tom, the A&R guy, brought Randy in as a surprise to play uh, some songs during the birthday party. And so for the first year of Christopher's life, we would put him to sleep every night on a pillow, not face down, but like he'd turn his head, but he'd be on his stomach. And then we would listen to Randy Stonehill's Can't Buy a Miracle. And I would drum on his back. <laughs> I would drum on his back and kind of bounce him a little bit. And that's how he, we would get him to sleep every night. And so we felt like Christopher had this interesting, weird connection with Randy. So Randy came in and sang. And when Randy sang, Linda was holding Christopher, one year old. And when Randy was singing Coming Back Soon, like Christopher put his head and like kind of leaned into Linda like he very much knows this song and loves this song in a conference room at Murr. And so I've got this big VCR camcorder and I'm recording everything and uh, just, you know, getting Randy singing and people in the room and everything. And then eventually I was like, well, this is a little bit tiresome. I'm just going to set the camcorder down on the table and just kind of catch room noise and everything. But it was still recording visually. And when we got home that night and watched the video, I put the camera right on Randy's crotch. I did not mean to. <laughs> and so it's like not Elvis on, uh, yeah. on the Ed Sullivan show. <laughs> it was all that was there. All it was. And I, all I pelvis. I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I saw Elvis. him. I saw him within a about a month or two and told him, and he about wrung my neck. He was like, oh. So that, that'll probably never make it on YouTube, but it's <laughs> oh, come on. It's pretty, pretty funny moment <laughs> for us at that birthday party. But again, he brought a little country western shirt with a bolo for Christopher at one year old. And, and uh, gosh, we uh, it, it just meant a lot to us. And now everybody was born to So this is a, a, a weird thing to talk about. I really want to honor all the people involved in the process. Let me tell it kind of going backwards. Uh, in 2001, I'm sitting in my home office and someone uh, on a message board refers to a Mark Hurd uh, story in Image Journal about the record business and I thought oh wow I mean I knew Image Journal when it was a paper thing and I love Mark Hurd now this is 2001 Mark Hurd died in 92 and I thought I don't know about this thing that he wrote about and so I started clicking links and I start reading this story that Mark Hurd had written years and years and years ago and as I'm reading it, it's starting to sound kind of familiar <laughs> and my face starts to kind of like heat up and I'm starting to feel some embarrassment and some shame and I'm like scrolling down the story and I yell for my wife. I'm like, Linda, <laughs> I think I think Mark Hurd's telling a story about me and it's not good. <laughs> and... Uh, that was a bizarre feeling. That's a terrible feeling. It's a. It was really something. Especially because he's gone. Yeah, he's gone. There's. there's you can't just, call him about yeah, it. Like, no, hey. there's no figuring no, it out or no fixing resolve. it. And and so the author wrote a book called Hammer and Nails about Mark Hurd's life. 
He interviewed me for that. He's done this project, uh, the Mark Hurd Lyric Project, I think, online. So he originally found me and said, um, you know, I identified myself as, hey, I'm the guy in the Play It Stupider Sessions image journal article. He said, I'd love to get your take on it, your perspective on it. So I and an assistant around 01, 02 wrote a long piece online, and it's still there. So if you if you um, just Google search Chris Hauser, Play It Stupider, or the Play It Stupider sessions, you'll get right to the article. And, and you can read his article and then read kind of my my memory of all of it. But in just the last, like, three months, somebody tagged me on Facebook, and on a Mark Hurd Facebook group, somebody had a post that ended up with like 50, 60 comments. And the post was, in the Play It Stupider sessions, who would who do you believe, Chris Hauser or Mark Hurd? Oh, no. I'm totally going to believe anything Mark Hurd says over, over Chris Hauser. Right. And so I was sitting in a doctor's office reading all these comments. Tim, I don't know if it's just like inner healing that's gotten me to a place where I'm good with this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Or I don't think I'm dead to any of it, but I read it with just like, oh my gosh, they're they're talking about me. Right. But they don't know you. They don't know me, yeah. but it's really kind of funny uh-huh. because they don't know me, but I'm I'm not perfect in all this stuff. And, uh-huh. and I've definitely made some mistakes in my career. And, and so finally, Andy Osenga from The Normals... Uh, and then uh, Derry Doherty from the choir both step up and defend me in this thread. Oh, wow. And it was very touching, very, very touching. And they, they just basically went on to say, you guys don't know Chris Hauser, and Chris has always fought for the underdog mm-hmm. and has always loved music that's left of center and has done everything he can to get that to a wider audience. Right. Yeah, so going backwards, the A&R guy and Mark Hurd met with me which was a huge deal to me because the only person that was probably a bigger hero to me in the 80s than Randy Stonehill was Mark Hurd or, or Mylon Lefevre maybe. But Mark Hurd was like th- that I lived maybe about five miles from where he lived. I always thought about it. I, I His music meant so much to me for a decade. And so they met with me and they were like, what do we do for this next record? Because the last one didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I said, you've got to kind of break it down to a lowest common denominator sort of thing. If you can come up with a, a a song like Coming Back Soon was such a big hit where you're distilling a spiritual idea into something that's life, that happens in everyday life. Randy's daughter says, here's my blanket. Don't forget me while I'm gone. This is how we deal with God. It's like, that was perfect. Maybe... Maybe you guys can deliver a song like that. So Mark wrote a song called Faithful that was on Randy's next record, uh, which was on the final record that I worked. That was called Until We Have Wings. And so that's like half live, half studio. And again, Mark produced it. And it turns out Mark wrote it, but was kind of so embarrassed by the lyric because it was so simplistic and so christiany mm-hmm. that he named himself his real name's John and then heard in italian is like audiori or something <laughs> and so it's written as it was written by John Audiori <laughs> uh, that's the credits on the on the record <laughs> 
Mark's Image Journal article is about how they were teasing one another in the studio about we need to make this as stupid as possible for the Christian radio people. Uh-huh. We need to play it stupider. So when a guy, when David Miner would play a certain kind of bass line, bass lick, uh, they'd say like, no, you need to you need to play it stupider. And so they'd have to like simplify uh-huh. it or something. And Mark goes on in the story that in his version of the story that I came in the studio and that they let me even like work on some of the, like mixing a little like bit. Push a button. Yeah. Stuff. And that, that when Mark turned it in, I said something like, I had no idea you were, you could be this brilliant a producer. <laughs> and I would never say something that stupid unless it was completely tongue in cheek. Uh-huh. Cause he knew how much I loved him. Uh-huh. And, um, I saw him, uh, in 1990 at Cornerstone. I had felt that there was some weirdness happening in 89 and 90 between us, which I hated because I really wanted to be part of the in-group. I really mm-hmm. wanted to be part of that group. But I also was, I'm the AC radio promoter guy, yeah. you know? And so, but he treated me like an old friend at Cornerstone mm-hmm. 90 and said, we're going to get together soon. I'm going to chase you down. We're, I'm going to take you out to lunch. I was like, Oh, okay. I was completely blown away by that. That was July of 1990. And by September, um, I drove up to Montrose and met him at his house and drove him to lunch. And and we sat and talked for a couple of hours. And I will always, always treasure that. So that was September of 90. He was gone by August of 92. Um, Had a heart attack on stage at Cornerstone, 92. And it was another nine years after that that I read the Image Journal piece for the first time. I subscribed to Image, and I don't remember that article particularly. So did it come out like like while he was alive? That mm-hmm. article, mm-hmm. okay. And I just never knew it. Wow. And a couple people in my life, when I started talking about it, I was like, uh, "Mark Hurd wrote this piece about the play at Stupider Sessions," and a couple of friends were like. Yeah, we just never really wanted to bring it up. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well. And I would even say Randy, when I went to Randy in 01, when I, when I found the article and I saw him, he was in town for something, he said, yeah, good old Mark. He definitely had, had an axe to grind. Yeah. And I would say it was an axe to grind with much of the Christian music industry. Yeah. And he'd gotten ripped off and hurt by a lot of people. Sure. You know? Especially, you know, Christianity were also supposed to be about the truth unfiltered and all that. And then you have to, you know, fit into a certain box to get played. And it can be frustrating, mm-hmm. especially if you're really trying to live your faith. So I understand everybody's point of view. And of course, you, like you said, you got a job to do. And you, without you, they don't get any income. Right, right. So. They really were coming to me saying, like, how can we help us, mm-hmm. you know, help us get help us Randy feed, back on the radio. Help us feed our families, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> They're hungry. And so I'm saying that was in 1989 and 1990, and it remains. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm still doing the same job 
and I'm still trying. I'm still fighting for left of center songs, mm-hmm. and trying to break through. And every once in a while, something happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that I was able to work with Mark Hurd and Randy Stonehill mm-hmm. at all. I remember you. No, this isn't just another town I'm passing through. Though I might not know you all by name, the way I feel is still the same. Can Hell Burn Hot Enough is about trafficking. I mean, this that's a song about sex trafficking way before. This is 1990. I mean, Before it became a cause celeb. Or how, yeah, yeah, exactly. Postcards from Bangkok, hub of the eastern world, where all the tourists come to party with the pretty girls. They dance like sleepwalkers under the disco lights, up on the auction block, hating all the hungry eyes. And then the the back half of it, live, he does Ramada Inn, Chuck D. Doe, Good News, which is just such a big barn burner of a record. So, in light of everyone's efforts to play it stupider, did this album do any better? Faithful uh, got all the way to like number two. Wow! Like coming back soon was probably a number three song, and Faithful got all the way to number two. Wow! <laughs> Which is a number I hate because being a chart promoter, being a, a record promoter, two, six, and eleven are the numbers I hate because <laughs> it keep me from saying number one, top five, and top ten. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I mean that I got to be able to work with Randy for three years and and still see him and and he's so warm and uh-huh. loving. And I, I will go on record as saying he's one of the most important artists in history of CCM. He's still an amazing singer. He's an amazing player. He's got friendships that have lasted decades and decades. And so he's, he's very, very important to me. Love tells no lies and if you are wise, you'll come when the love is calling. Oh, oh, oh. I guess one thing to say, there's a a Larry Norman D, uh, a documentary on DVD, which is really interesting. I, I'm thinking about how I romanticized some of those people's lives before I really got involved in their lives and I definitely put a lot of these people on pedestals and I don't think they ever wanted to be on pedestals probably maybe some people do just out of insecurities or childhood wounds or whatever but there was a lot of mess in the solid rock world with Daniel Amos Larry Randy Mark Hurd Pantano and Salisbury there's a lot of uh, uh, Tom Howard as well. There was a lot of humanity. Just, yeah, a lot of messy humanity. Right. And humanity is messy. I mean, it, it, I shouldn't even put those two words together. It just is. Right. But as a young Christian, my faith was being so propelled by these songs. I, I put these people in a place of super spirituality, Keith Green especially. Mm-hmm. I put these people in a place of 
oh my gosh, they must like walk six inches off the floor. And, and that's not the case whatsoever. It just divorces and remarriage and, and, uh, and broken hearts and uh, bad business deals and all that stuff is a fact of, of matter. And so it's a little bit sad for me, but it's also just people are people, you know? Well, the one thing different I would say, especially when you hopefully have Christ involved, that, that in spite of all of that, people can forgive each other. Yep. And do you get a sense that in spite of the, maybe the bad blood or the, the, the stuff that happened, these guys were able to forgive eventually? I think, uh, yeah. I mean, I think Stonehill and, and Larry Norman played on stage a cornerstone together. Even though like, they kind of had a falling out. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I think a couple years before Larry died, I, uh, I, I remember that. And uh, that was a big, big deal. And, uh, and Randy's got a great song might be on this on that record called even the best of friends that's on one of his records and it's it's about just people forgiving one another and loving each other and uh so man i i i hope this has been helpful for you and as you dig in on some of the music tim it's 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 some really really meaningful stuff well thank you mm-hmm it's so easy to point a finger That's when it all begins Yeah With even the best of friends And if you'd like to hear more from Chris Hauser, I recommend going back to In the Corner Back by the Woodpile Episodes 135 and 141 Where he talks Amy Grant, Russ Taff, The Choir, Phil Keggy and other folks that he's had the honor of assisting to feed their families. In the corner, back by the woodpile, it's produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by looking up Spun Counter Guy. If you want to say hi or send us nasty words, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. And you can find this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean.com. We'll see you on the flip side. Even the best of friends need to learn to forgive each other. Take all the faults that true love covers and just let them go.